So I am Zachary Walker. Thanks for being here. Hopefully you're here because you're interested in, um, and I'm American, so I say Z. I'll try to say Z. You know what I mean. I'm, I'm a homing, right? Um, I have my, my uh, former student, Dennis Patel, who's here as well. I put her picture up there because she deserves a lot of credit for some of the research that we've done around this. So she, this is not a, a one-person show who kind of collates and puts all this together. As those of you who are researchers know, it takes a team. And she was a valuable part of this team. So um, she's up here as well. So uh, let's get out our phones. If you can go to menti.com, please. Uh, if you go to menti.com on your device. Will anybody else be, have, be able to get it? Some can, some can't. All right, we'll do it the old-fashioned way then. Uh, when was Generation Z born? Who thinks it's here? Raise your hand if you think it's here. Who thinks it's here? All uh, right, who thinks it's here? Now, see, no one votes over here because they know the answer is this one, right? Yeah. So Generation Z is right. Oh, see, some people are. You, who? Got to tell me the truth, right? So yeah, some people are getting through. Uh, now that we've told you the answers, it's really easy. So if you're just not getting through, right, make sure you, make sure you pick that one, yeah? Um, so yeah, that is when Generation Z, after 1996. Um, so this is the, and again, all of these, you know, if you were born in 1995 or, or 1994, you may have some of the same characteristics, right? And one of the things that I want to talk about right now before we go much further um, <laughs> good try. Uh, there's always someone funny in class, and I appreciate that, right? So thank you. Um, but one of the things that's important as we kind of talk about generations, and I want to set this expectation now, is that it's understood that there are things that are human nature that we all feel, that we all kind of have, but there's no question that when you were born and the things that happened in your, in your lifetime also have a major impact. So as you're kind of going through and as we talk about some of the characteristics of Generation Z, I encourage us to think, okay, you know, I can understand how that was impacted by the events around them. Does that make sense? Because there are things that are human nature that we all kind of feel. So um, again, we can see here that uh, some of you are wise, 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 right? Um, and this is uh, just a funny tweet that I really like. Uh, just so we're all clear. Anybody older is a boomer, anybody younger that you don't like is a millennial, right? And, and that seems to be um, sometimes how we hear these things uh, classified, right? Because it's like, well, if they're not us, they're either too old or they're too young and they're, they're too crazy, right? And we all have a tendency to do this, um, but these are the generations, right? So, again, years may matter a little bit, but we've got Generation Z, we've, then we've got the millennials or Generation Y, Generation X, which was born between 65 and 76, real short time period there. The boomers, the baby boomers, 46, and then we have the silent generation, right? Who is, uh, <laughs> easy, now, 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 right? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, before uh, 1945. So, uh, which generation do you belong? Again, don't worry about going here, okay? But uh, who in here is Generation Z? Just raise your hand real quick, please. All right, how about the millennials? How many millennials do we have? All right, how about Generation X? Yes. Uh, baby boomers? Silent generation, any silent generationers? Mark? No, not quite, not quite, not quite. So what do we know about these generations? What are some of the things that we hear 
about them. Now again, we're not going to go through, we don't have enough time today to go through each of the generations and really talk about some of what we hear, but also the research behind it. But we can do a couple of quick things. So one of the things we do know about the baby boomers is that they are working longer and longer and longer and longer and longer. Right? Now this data is from the US. We don't have data from other places yet, but we are seeing more and more of this. The older generations are working a lot longer, especially, especially if you're highly educated. If you're not quite as highly educated, they oftentimes will retire because they're in jobs that are more physically taxing. They're harder on their bodies. So as they get older, they get out of those jobs. But we know for those people who are highly educated in higher level jobs, they will stay in the workforce longer for a couple of reasons. A, loneliness. And B, because their mental acuity is still strong and they have something to offer. Right? So it's interesting when we think about this, because what does that mean for the workplace? If we look up here, look at the workforce in the next 10 years, what's going to happen? We're going to see more and more of these people not retire. So not only are we going to have Generation Z moving into the workforce, which we'll talk about in a minute, we're also going to have a group of people that are not going to retire which means that we, we could potentially see four or five generations within a workplace. All the way from silent generation, baby boomers, all the way down to generations. And what does that mean for workplaces? What does that mean for education? And how we approach that, right? So it's quite an interesting thing to think about. Um, if we look at Generation X, we know that they make significantly more money. They're not surprising, they spend a lot more too. And this is a big thing. A lot of Generation Xers are financially supporting both a parent and a child now. They're at an age where maybe they have both a parent living with them and they're raising a child. And so although they're making more money, they have a lot more responsibilities. How does that matter in the workplace? How does that matter in education? Uh, this is a, a funny little saying about the millennials. And for those of us... <laughs> For those of us who live in London, we know that this is <laughs> quite familiar, I think, for many of us, right? Never being able to actually buy anything. Um, but what we do know about the millennials is that they really appreciate humility. They're really interested in strategy and ethics. That's really important to them, right? And there's lots of reasons that we could maybe tease this out. We're not going to do that now, but it's quite interesting to think about. Uh, boomers really wanted it to be easier for their children. They succeeded. When we interview Generation X, they tell us they don't want their kids to end up like entitled millennials. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a second, but I want us to really think about something. We often talk about generations coming up, but we don't look at how they were parented, right? If we look at optimism and pessimism, right, the most pessimistic generations about the future are these two. Who's raising this? So we skip a generation, right? When, when, and so how we raise in our mindsets are not only a product of what happens to us, it's a product of what happens in our homes. So boomers, right? Really optimistic. Came up a really exciting time. Pretty optimistic. Look what they, they raised their kids to be pretty optimistic. Right? Then we've got Generation X who saw a few hard times. Now look at what... Generation Z is going through and the way that they look at the world. So we can't just look at the events, we also have to look at where they come from, which is quite fascinating when we think about that and we bring that in to the picture, right? So when we look at Generation Z, 
Let's look at some of the things that have happened since 1996. And this one right here is probably the biggest key for them. This is what they have access to every minute on their phone. Did bad things happen in other generations? Of course. But we've never had access to it like this generation does. So when we talk about 9-11, when we talk about a great recession, when we talk about a refugee crisis, when we talk about environmental destruction, when we talk about Syria, right? These things are in their pocket, constantly being updated. And that's what they've grown up with, right? 1996. So when we think about the mindset that must come from that, when all you're seeing is that all the time, it gives us a little bit of an insight into Generation Z. Now, these, there's lots of books written about Generation Z. Everything we're talking about today comes from this research. Okay, um, So it's important to, to know that. Uh, they're the largest cohort in the world, approximately 2 billion people. They're going to make up, uh, they make up about a quarter of the global population, and they're going to make up even a bigger chunk of the workforce. Right? So it's important to think about what's happening for them going through school, and then what's going to happen when they enter the workforce, because it's such a massive group of people. Right? 69% believe their parents are their number one role models. They self-identify as compassionate, loyal, responsible, thoughtful individuals. One of the interesting things is that they're much more aware of mental health. And I think if, if you work at, at all with, with the youth, you understand that this is very, very true, right? Mental health is kind of front and center of everything. And at the university level, I serve on some committees here, accentuating circumstances. For those of you who are, who are here academics, you probably know what those committees are. 75% of the things that come through when people ask for extensions now are around mental health. It's not about a physical ailment. It's not about a family member who got sick or something like that. It's around mental health. Right? They're very aware of it. Uh, interestingly, they view their peers as competitive, spontaneous, adventuresome, and curious, all characteristics they do not see in themselves. Now, if we go into that a little bit further, why would that be? Because how are they seeing their peers? They're seeing their peers on Instagram. They're seeing their peers on TikTok, right? They're seeing their peers on all these things. And when you're on those channels, what do you look like you are? You look competitive. You look adventurous. You look, because you're taking the selfie off the cliff, right? So we're, we're, they're comparing themselves to their peers and thinking, oh, those peers are all those things. But they don't see it in themselves, perhaps. The search for truth. And this one is the one that's really interesting to me personally. They don't really identify with one thing, right? So they don't identify with one thing, and the search for truth is at the root of almost all their behaviors. They want to get to the facts, and it really matters to them. That purpose is really, really important. They're the most racially diverse generation in history. They have the most diverse social circles, and we know the world population is the most diverse in history as well, so it makes sense, right? Diversity is the norm. 
It is not something to be tolerant of. I don't know how many um, of my generation, the Xers and possibly before, we went through like uh, diversity tolerance or you had to be aware of diversity. They're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's not good enough to just know that you're there, right? It's this idea of we want to include you. And that's a whole other thing, right? And the, in, instead, generations that more in social justice, right? Again, purpose, truth. It's important that everyone is included. This is really interesting. Very entrepreneurial group. 50% want to work for themselves. And again, think about, think about how this impacts education and think about how this impacts the workplace. And this is even more fascinating. Nearly 40% plan to invent something that will change the world. Not something that's going to necessarily bring them a great paycheck. Something that's going to change the world. So they're quite ambitious, as long as it's around truth and purpose. Right? Because that matters. <clears throat> so, how does this impact what we do? Let's look at what they've seen as far as leadership. I'm not making political commentary. I just want to show you this is what they see all the time, right? So when we ask them about leadership, this is what they say. Can you identify all these people? Most of them? Again, think about the events that they've had on their phone. And then when they look to leadership to guide them through these events, this is what they see. Right? Who's this? Say it louder so everybody can hear me. Who's this? Anyone know who that is? Yeah, what's his name? Do you know? David Hogg, gun rights advocate. How about that? Anyone know that? Coco. <laughs> Say a lot of those. So, so, so those who are not, not in Generation Z, who are, who's these people? Who are these, this group right here? Yeah. So <clears throat> these are the leaders that Generation Z look up to. Right? Uh, what's what's She's a pop singer, but what is, what is her cause? Does anyone know? Mental health. She talks a lot about mental health. Right? Uh, Malala? Yeah, how many girls around the world uh, do not have access to, to schooling? Almost 70 million. I will say that again. 70 million girls around the school do not have access to schooling. Greta, we all know what she's, right? The environment. David is a gun rights advocate. What does Coco talk about? Beyond being a, a really gifted tennis player at 16 years old, what does she talk about? Representation. How much it matters to have someone to look up to. So when you talk about Venus and Serena, she talks, she's very vocal about they were really important to me because I needed to have someone who looked like me in the workplace, the workplace, right? And then they talk about global, the globalization of music, right? Having lots of voices from around the world. So um, has anyone read New Power? Fascinating book. Mark, you should read it. If you haven't read it, I highly encourage you to pick up. Uh, who knows what this game is right here? Tell me how Tetris works. What happens in Tetris? 
Anybody, come on, talk to me. Yeah, things fall down, right? They fall down and you have to fit them. And what happens if you don't fit them quick enough? Yeah, it's like it dissolves. You, you die, essentially, right? So uh, how many people grew up with Tetris? Yeah. Uh, who knows what that is? It says it, so I hope you know, right? What happens in Minecraft? What do we do? We build. Where do we grab from? Everywhere, right? Who, who do we play with? Anyone. Anywhere. Who do we play Tetris with? So think about growing up with this being your game. Everything comes down from the top. You have to figure out where it goes to this being your game, where you can build and you work from people around the world and you can do whatever you want and you've got all kinds of tools at your disposal. Generation Z. Most of us. <laughs> right? Does that make sense? So again, it's really important that we think about what have they seen, what kind of leaders have they had, and then they've got every tool at their fingertip to do the things they want to do. So why are they going to trust what you have to say? Because they haven't seen any leadership they can trust. Even, and, and, and oftentimes when we talk about this, people say, well, what about President Obama, right? If you talk to, well, like a lot of my um, friends who are... Um, Minorities, they'll say they were actually, they, they appreciate Obama. They really like what he stood for. They appreciate the representation. They were very disappointed in the policies. Very disappointed in what he was able to push through. It was great to have a representative, but they weren't happy with what got done while he was in office. Right? So again, think about this idea of Tetris versus Minecraft. And indeed, what is emerging most visibly among people under 30 is an expectation. We have the right to participate. The language here is very, very purposeful. It's an expectation, and it is a right. It is not a, well, we hope to participate. We think we're going to participate. It is our right to be involved in decisions. It is our right to have the opportunity to create things. Right? So it's interesting when we think about this, and we think about Generation Z, and what that means, right? What is this right here? Does anyone know? What's it? Yeah, this is Bella Alicia's, this is how she got started. This is her and her brother. She is now, she, by the way, I don't know if you all knew that she, um, she now has the new music for the Bond film, the next Bond film. She's going to have the title track. She started in her living room. Right? And so <clears throat> when we think about that, we think about what's possible, we need to start asking, what does matter? And when we talk to those uh, in Generation Z, leaders who talked about purpose scored significantly higher. So if anybody's read Simon Sinek's uh, Start With Why, that's really important for this generation. They want to know, why are, you, why are you selling me that drink? What are your values outside making money? That really matters, right? And congruence is critical. Now, this is a key one. All right, and um, how many people are academics or teach? Anyone, how many teachers, academics? How many business people do we have here? People from the industry? How many people are just here because it was a nice place to keep warm? 
Yeah, that's cool. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. Right. But it's really important because this generation really cares about this idea of congruence. It's about action. Don't just tell me that you're aware. I want to see what that actually means. So, what I'll ask you to think about: What does your website or syllabus say about diversity? Right? What does your corporate website, if you're in a business, if you're if you're an instructor, what does your website say about diversity? Now, here's the real question: What does your board of directors or the article readings look like? You tell me you believe in diversity. I go to your board of directors, and it's a bunch of white men. Really? And you're a champion for diversity? You say you believe in diversity, and I look at your reading list, and it's all Western authors, all Western researchers, and you say you believe in diversity? Does that make sense? They're looking at that stuff, right? So what does your website syllabus say about social justice? What does your budget or class allocation say? Don't tell me you believe in social justice. Where are you putting your money? Where are you going to give us time? Purpose matters. And you can't say something and then not follow through. Think about the leaders that we saw. They say all kinds of things, right? And then what actually happens? This idea that purpose matters and we have to be honest with our purpose and congruent. It's really, really important, right? So when we look at skills in the workplace, uh, you don't worry about doing this. Uh, one word, what was one skill you'd like to see young people develop? Critical thinking, all right? Anybody else? Keep coming. Resilience. Resilience. Responsibility. Responsibility. Leadership. Leadership. So they're, they're really good. Come on, folks, this side. There we go. Adaptability. What's that? Adaptability. Adaptability. Collaboration. Collaboration. Teamwork. Teamwork. Intercultural communication. Intercultural communication. Tolerance. Tolerance. Pragmatism. Creativity. I really like you. You've got a strong voice. It's really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of good things, right? Uh, these are the top 10 skills according to the World Economic Forum for, two, for 2020. Now, you can see how they've changed since 2015. If you had to pick one of those, so a lot of them were already kind of mentioned in one form or another. If you had to pick one of them, what would be most important to you? Emotional intelligence, creativity, judgment, decision making. Yeah, it's interesting. Denise and I have talked about this. This is our number one. Because we know we're in a world, we're getting, we're in a Minecraft world, right? I got to be able to go over here and do this. I got to think about this. And then, and part of it is this idea of emotional intelligence. And what, why do we call emotional intelligence a soft skill? Right? To be really aware emotionally is very cognitively taxing. To active listen and pay attention and to really ask great questions is a really hard skill, right? That is not a soft skill. In class, it's much more difficult in some ways than programming a computer, which is technically known as a, tar a hard skill, right? So, but cognitive flexibility allows us to do a lot of these other things and do them well, move from space to space. Not that the, these other ones aren't important. They're obviously all really good. But when we think about it from an education and learning and a development standpoint, what we're often seeing is this is what kids want to grow up to be. Depends on where you're from. No judgment, by the way, I'm just 
Da haben wir es doch vorher. These were teens, I believe. I believe these were teens, 13 to 18, essentially. Yeah. Um, but if you look again at skill development, uh, PricewaterhouseCooper, our annual global CEO survey, these are the six areas that get affected by lack of skills, right? So when, when individuals come in to do work and they don't have skills, uh, the number one thing is they're not able to innovate. So companies aren't able to change and innovate all the way down to a smaller one, um, growth and profitability. But one of the things that is really, really fascinating to me personally as someone who's kind of interested in this space, who works with, with this generation a lot and helps them transition into the workplace, is this idea of once they get in there, companies are now spending loads of money to reskill. Right? Amazon spending $700 million. Uh, Pricewater, three billion. That's with a B. That's not a typo, right? And it's really interesting to think about this because some of some of my colleagues, scholars who are in this field, have said, "Where's higher education in all this?" If I'm a young person and I taught myself how to program, I've taught myself in my home computer, how to have all these skills, and I can get hired by Amazon, they'll pay me 50 grand right away, and then they're going to educate me while I'm in school. Why would I go to college? Why would I go to university? Is higher education an institution, are we mobile, are we agile enough to be filling needs in non-traditional ways? You know what they, you know what the, the, they call tradition? Uh, peer pressure from dead people. Right? And oftentimes when we think about systems, when we think about procedures, when we think about policies that are part of edu education, they're just simply based on dead people's. <laughs> right? So we really have to think about this. What does this mean? Because what we are seeing, though, is that companies aren't doing it well. Right? 53% of senior executives said their organizations offer training. 35% say their companies have the options, but less than 25% participate. And one of the things that, I'm a teacher by training, right? And one of the things that really interests me, I think Mark even mentioned it, was this idea of innovative pedagogy. New teaching, how do we teach better? What can we do? And this is really what I get excited about, is helping people to learn in very different ways. But one of the things that's quite interesting to me is, is Amazon, is PriceWatt, are they doing that for the headline, or are they doing it because it's really good teaching? Does that make sense? And I think this is one thing that the companies need to be asking themselves, I, how many of you have ever gone through like a training program online where you're supposed to click and get? You just kind of click it and you get the right answer and you move on and you click it and then at the end they're like, oh, I, I finished the program. But you didn't really learn, you just got through it because you needed to, right? That's really, really bad teaching. So how do we make these things that companies are doing really, really engaging and really, really helpful? And it's something we don't think about enough. Uh, I like this right here. The CFO says, what happens if we invest in developing our people and they leave us? And the CEO says, well, what happens if they don't and they stay? So we have to be investing. One of the things we know about young people is that they really care about it, right? But it has to be good. Young people care about being educated, 
but they want it to be good education, whether it's in the classroom or whether it's in their job, right? And we know that traditional um, learning and development have low absorption rates and they don't have any irrelevance. And one of the things, and I'm not trying to offend anyone here, how many of our classes are the same way? If we didn't take attendance, would they come? And are we giving them anything they couldn't get on Google? Right? So I think we have to really think about that and how we do it. Uh, because what do we know? Again, they're interested in cross-functional skill sets. How can I peel things from many areas? How can I use things from many areas? Put them together for my learning. Because I'm, I'm a Minecraft player. Remember, I'm playing Minecraft. Don't just make me put something into a, uh, fit it into a box. I want things and I want to see how they all measure together. And that's really important. 94% of employees would stay at a company longer if they invested in helping them learn. This is a great, great, great question. Instead of asking kids what they want to be when they grow up, we should ask them what problems they want to solve. This changes the conversation from who do I want to work for to what do I need to be able to learn to do that. So many of our classes in higher ed, so many of our reskilling uh, once you get out of the corporate environment are all about do this one specific skill. Learn this one specific skill. Uh, I know whole master's programs here. And by the way, please understand, uh, I'm not criticizing. I just think we have to be really aware of what's happening. Whole master's programs, that the only way that they're ever assessed is through a five or a 10,000 word essay. It's the only way they're ever, how many of you students are in a, in a class like that where you're only, the only assessment is a five or a 10,000 word essay? That's it. For five or six modules, that's the only one? That's the only way you're being assessed? When we know of everything else that you're capable of? That seems a bit short-sighted, right? So, uh, first of all, we have to think about health and wellness. We know that they are thinking about health and wellness. Mental health, be, mental health is big. So what are we doing for that? Uh, anyone know where this is? Yeah, anyone recognize this one? It's harder. Yeah, Leicester Square, Liverpool Street, right? Now, uh, this happens fairly, fairly routinely. And then a company says, well, come in and do yoga. <laughs> it's going to take you two hours to get home, an hour and a half to get there, but one yoga class should take care of it. So that's why we know that flexible workspaces are a thing now. They're becoming really important. In fact, we know that Generation Z is not just requiring or asking them, they're requiring them. Yeah, I, I want to be able to work from home. And some companies are actually making it mandatory. You have to work from home two days a week, right? Uh, this is one of those companies out in, in Oregon. Um, everyone works from home on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Everyone. So they don't have to commute. Uh, this is a story about Jonathan Wong. He took a 30% pay cut so he could spend more time with his kids. I bring my kids to preschool every morning. If the overwork problem will ever be solved, guys need to be a part of the solution, not just women. Right? But this is, I love this last little quote right here. That's how millennials and generations are playing the game. It's not about jumping up titles, but moving into better environments. They're like silent fighters rewriting policy under the nose of boomers. So when we talk about what Generation Z wants, or Generation Z wants, as they move into the workplace, there's two main things, three main things. Number one, purpose. 
Number two, learning. Tell me how you're going to help me learn. And number three, flexibility. I want to be able to work from different places. I want to be able to do different things, right? They want to see neurodiversity. We know it's a competitive advantage, right? Kids with autism, kids with dyslexia, moving into the workplace. Universal Music uh, has a brand new program all about neurodiversity and recruiting people who are neurodiverse into their company, into the creative arts. And finally, this idea of collective intelligence. How do we get people to actually work together on problems? Now, there's one, everyone knows NASA, right? Everyone knows NASA? NASA did a really cool thing. Uh, they had these 14 development challenges that they could not solve. They didn't have time. They didn't have budgets for. So what they did is they put them online and just said, we need help solving them. 14 very strategic development challenges. 3,000 people from 80 countries responded and started working on these problems because they created forms where they could work together on them. Uh, it turned R&D around from three to five years to three to six months because so many people from so many time zones were working, at the, you know, working on them at the same time. And here's the interesting thing to me, the quality of the work was significantly higher than if they'd turned it over to their own engineers because they had lots of different viewpoints. They had lots of different people working on things. It was so successful that they actually created the Office of Chief Scientist. So what they routinely do, NASA routinely puts out these really significant problems, and they put them out in the public domain and say, help us solve them. They're saving money, and they're saving time, and they're opening things up, right? And this is this idea of collective intelligence from many, many people from many different places. So all that being said, I think there's real promise in this generation. I think it's up to us to help them get where they want to go. Uh, I love this quote because it's so indicative of what I feel, right? No, no interest in looking down. Generations either a bunch of revolutionary weirdos who all had to deal with their parents posting their baby pics on Facebook before they could consent, and I think they're great. <coughs> I love Generation Z, and I'll tell you why, because of this kind of thing. Anyone see this before? Yes. They were playing soccer. Her hijab fell off. They surrounded her so she could put it back on in private. Opponents, different team, right? Surrounded her so that she would have privacy to put it back on. You've got people like Boyan Slat, the Ocean Cleanup Project. Now, we know it's had its difficulties, but he was 16 years old when he, when he started working on this and he put it together, right? Cleaning up the ocean because of all of our waste, all the plastics, right? Uh, anyone heard of Eden Full? So Eden... Uh, was a student um, outside of New York City. Anyone know what this is right here, by the way? What is this thing? It's a solar panel. So one of the things about solar panels is they always face one way, right? So in developing countries, the sun's coming down this way. What happens when the sun rotates? Nothing. So she built, for a high school project, this, and then she put water on each side. Now, what happens when the sun is shining here? What happens? The water does what? Evaporates. So this thing, because it's covered, right? It pulls this down and rotates over. So now it's, she's got a whole company in developing countries where she built this by herself from a high school project. Dropped out of college to do it. Emma Yang, grandmother, suffered from Alzheimer's. One of the things about Alzheimer's, as many of us know, is that people will call people repeatedly and tell them the same thing. Right? So she developed an app. One of the features, one of the many, is that if you've called someone within five minutes, it will actually pop up and say, you just called this person. Are you sure you want to call them again? She was 12 when she developed it. And the app does a bunch of other things as well, but that's just one feature. 
Uh, Amit Kaura. Amit was a math student who moved to a different school. When he was moved to a different school, they put him in the wrong math class. It was a math class that he had already taken. It took him about three to four weeks to figure out, oh, he needs to be in this other math class. Well, by the time he got to the other math class, about four to six weeks later, they already had all this content that he didn't know. He was way behind. So what did he do? He built an app where all we had to do was put in the formula, and it would shoot out the answer. Right? Really popular app. Now, here's what's telling about it. This is one of the things he said. I don't think college would be that beneficial for me. I have access to all the knowledge I need. I've just got to go out and place it and find it. Right? I think this is what we're seeing. This is something Danisha is quite passionate about. Right? Baby boomers changed politics. Generation X changed family. Y changed work. Generation Z is changing education. Not only the formal education structure like here we have at UCL, but also in workplaces. What does it mean when you enter a workplace and they want you to play Tetris and your whole life you've played Minecraft? What does that look like for you? Does that make sense? So I think it's important that we think about this. I'm happy to take questions, concerns, ideas, disagreements. Uh, anything you want. Um, Mark, do you have anything that you have to say or do? I'm not sure how it works. But um, anyway, thank you for that part. Then we will get to questions. I know we got two here right away. Um, we will get to the question and answer part. But I really hope that we will, we will leave this at the end of it thinking about the promise of Generation Z and how much they can bring considering there's two billion of them entering our workforce. What does that look like for us? How are we adjusting for them? Because all they've seen, not all, a lot of what they've seen has not been great so far. And it's going to be up to us to really change some things, to really realize that promise. So, Thank you so much, Zachary. Mm -hmm. I, for one, found that very, very inspiring. <laughs> so we have about five minutes for questions. We've got roving mics there and there. So um, if you want to... Ask a question, put your hand up, and wait for the mic to come to you. So, we have one here, first of all, and one here. Want to take them in threes? How do you want to take them? Uh, to, how, whatever's easiest to answer. Let's go, for, let's go for threes and one here as well. Cool. Hi. Um, I thought it was really interesting, your whole presentation, and I like the fact that you think Gen Z, um, also American, um, are so um, active and interested in social justice, mm -hmm. but I guess I'm worried about their disengagement from politics in how they view political leaders. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering how you foresee, um, if you see them getting actively engaged in politics, changing the shape of politics, how you see them taking on like leadership roles and political roles. Yeah, I think, I think we will see more and more um, of them getting actively involved, I think what we are going to see is them more focused on causes than politics. And, and I understand that, that you know causes can only do so much without the policies behind them. But I think, like, if you look at uh, from an American perspective, if you look at what David Hogg's doing, right? The amount of people that he is gathering behind gun rights and gun advocacy, it's almost becoming so loud you can't ignore it as a policymaker, right? If you look at what Greta is doing with the environment, 
you can't ignore the environment now. Even if you don't believe in it, you can't ignore it as an issue. So now policymakers are going to have to be more forthright about what they believe, and I think then we'll, we'll see what happens in the polls, especially in the U.S. coming up. But I think there's no question they're going to be more involved, but it might be from a cause issue rather than a I'm going to run for office issue. Because, again, if you look at who have they seen in those positions, nobody they want to be like. I hope so. I, I hope so. I really hope so. I don't know for sure, though. Uh, Denisha, will you vote? Yeah, she's like an eighth culture kid. Like she's lived in 46 countries or something like that, so she might not have a right to vote anywhere. But if she can, she will. All right, yeah. So, uh, next question. Yes, sir. Hi. Um, my name's Jim. Hi, Jim. Um, I'm a baby boomer, but I've got a, a, a Z as mm -hmm. a child, mm -hmm. so I live through a Z. I'm interested in collective intelligence. Mm -hmm. So, my question is how would uh, UCL be a role model? to bring in people like me to solve issues like climate change. Well, I know from my peers how I have ideas of how, if you repositioned it, or I, I know what the issues are mm -hmm. as, to, as to how you could contribute to reducing climate change. How would that actually practically happen? Yeah, so one of the things that, I, that we talk a lot about, I work with a lot of companies, a lot of organizations and things like that. One of the things we talk about when I'm consulting with them and advising is this idea, what do your teams look like? You know, do you have two to three young voices on every team? Do you have two or three people that maybe feel really comfortable with the technology? They, and, and we know that generations that they want, they actually want role models, right? They want a gym to help lead them, but they're not going to trust gym. Not at the start, because... Sorry, you're an older white male. They're not going to trust you because what have they always seen, right? Now, once they get to know you, once they develop a relationship with you, but the only way they're going to be able to do that is if they're on a team with you day to day. So we've got to bring teams of them and, and include them. Even at the most senior level, you always want to have some of your newest people on those teams to help bring their ideas and let them question. Ask them to question. Challenge them to question. When they're sitting at the table, they are not silent partners. They are a part of the team. Does, does that make sense? Does, yeah. yeah, so I think that that's really, really critical because they do have amazing ideas. Some of them are practical. Some of them are idealistic. But either way, why would we want to lose the idealism? We don't want to lose that. We just got to put it into a practical form, right? So it's important that their voices are not just, they're not just seated at the table. They are talking at the table. And that's really important, really important. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm from Generation Z. <laughs> um, and I'm just considering the idea that um, the achievements that Generation Z or the, the top figures of this generation are obviously very young. Mm -hmm. And there's, I don't know, I wanted your opinion on um, this consideration of instant satisfaction that one receives from social media. And this idea that you have an entire generation that want the instant satisfaction of achieving something. Mm -hmm. But the fact that patience has to be within that process itself and how that generation will react to that. Because these changes in society that this generation wants will take time, but I just don't feel like this generation has the patience for it. Yeah, and I, I think that's, to be honest, one of the biggest issues and why mental health is becoming such an issue is because we look around and we don't get that instant gratification or we feel like everyone else is getting it, but not us, right? We feel like we're outside and we all want connection. We all want to feel like we're part of the group. And so when I look around and it seems like everyone else is achieving these big things and then I'm not, 
That's quite hard. What I do think is I do think if there's a, there's a scale that goes around about technology, and it's called the hype scale, right? And when any new technology comes out, you see this really massive curve where there's all this promise, and then you see it like, okay, it's crashing, and then it kind of normalizes. I think we'll also see that with Generation Z. Because again, if we go back to the start of the talk when we talked about human nature, how many of us, no matter how old you were, were really idealistic when you were 20 years old? Right? There becomes a pragmatic piece over time. You kind of realize, okay, that might be ideal, but actually this is the way it's actually going to work. I think we'll see a little bit of that with Generation Z. And I think that part of what they will learn over time is that it does just take showing up every day discipline every day, and that these little things they do now will have a big impact over time instead of just relying. But there's going to be, and I hate to say it so clearly, because uh, I don't mean it literally, but there probably will be literals, there's going to be casualties along the way. I mean, there are going to be people who are really going to suffer along the way, um, and again, we see that in their mental health issues right now. Yeah. So I, I think it's something we have to work through as a society, and we have to provide support. Um, but again, I think that, that also is part of what our job is at UCL, our job is, is as industry, is really providing great mental health support. Because if we don't, we're going to lose a lot of talent from not being able to support them. Thank you very much, Zachary. I think we've run out of time. We could talk about Generation Z, yes, Z for, yes, for a long could. time. But please join me in thanking Zachary. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody who wants to get on touch, please reach out to me. Um, I'm at IOE. You can get me on Twitter, but please feel free to email me or look me up online as well, all right? Thank you all very much for being here.